All right. Thank you for joining the Pursuit of Prosperity podcast. I'm Lance Wakefield. Today I'm with Cash Tavacoli. Did I say that right? You sure did. Thanks, yes. Kevin. That is tough. Thanks for thanks for being here today, man. Of course, man. Uh, so today we dive into um, a lot of real estate. So Cash is a is an agent, a buyer's agent here locally, and we go through how those transactions work, where the market's going, all the different things that are going on in real estate right now. We even touch on that $1.8 billion lawsuit at the end and how that's going to change things moving forward. So uh, thanks for joining us today, and we'll let's jump into it. And Cash, your last name is what again? Tavacoli. Oh, Tavacoli. We'll do that. Just again. think of uh, ravioli, but <laughs> Tavacoli. Okay. Yeah. Tavacoli. Cash Tavacoli. <laughs> the easiest way I can break it down. Is that what is that? Is that Spanish? Uh, Persian. Persian. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I moved here when I was sixteen from from Middle East. Oh yeah. What part? Yeah. Um, Iran. 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 Yeah. So you speak Farsi too. It's my first language. Crazy. Yeah. You said, I mean, so most, my experience is most people who learn a second language after puberty mm. typically have an accent. You yeah. have no accent. I tried really hard yeah, to tell. not have an accent. It's, uh, it's, it's hard. I mean, oh, yeah. sometimes it comes out on mm -hmm. certain words, um, but you're absolutely right. I have friends that move here later on in their life and the accent never goes away. No, it's... Yeah. Like the biggest thing that I think is where I just say that's such BS is like spy movies and stuff where they're like, like they learned Russian and they speak it perfectly and no Literally, one can tell. Right? It's like, no way, <laughs> dude. Like if, unless you learn that language and you are six, no way. Exactly. There is no way you speak it at that level. Cause I learned French when I was like 18, 19 mm -hmm. and I lived in France until from like 19 to like 21, 22. And I spoke French very well, and people in France would be like, where are you from? And I'd be like, Belgium. They're like, a weird Belgian accent. But they'd believe me. <laughs> like, I could I could get away with it, but yeah. they could tell it wasn't quite right. Yeah. And so, but yours is excellent, man. You speak very I, good English. I appreciate it. You know, actually, it's funny. Now that, um, you know, my, my girlfriend is uh, English-speaking, so I mainly, I would say, majority of the time, I'm speaking English. Yeah. So now when I speak in my native tongue, Farsi, mm -hmm. people think I have an accent which yeah. is really funny. That is interesting. Yeah. I never thought about that going the other way. I'm sure you could get it back to where you don't have an accent if you worked at it. But. Pretty much. If I if I go back to like the motherland and yeah. stay there for a month, I'll, I think the accent will I you know, fade away. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's, it's very funny. Like when you first learn a language, you're still thinking like grammarly in your native tongue. And you translate in your mind. Exactly. Yeah. Now, now I'm kind of opposite. I'm thinking in English... So when I'm talking my native tongue, it sounds weird yeah. to like a native speaker. Yeah. I So when I was learning French, I was like, once I started dreaming in French, that's when I was like, I got this. Yeah. You're like, I'm get, fluent now. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> like it, you can think in it and you can, you can dream in it. And it's like, when, once you can do that, then it's like, you, you really speak that true. language. So that's true. You know, I'm always surprised of people remembering their dreams. I could never, like I wake up and I'm like, I know how to dream, but hmm. if I don't write it down, like this moment yeah. I wake up, like have no recollection of it. Yeah, I think it is. Like, if you want to remember your dreams, there's a few over the years that I've had that I remember, and I remember years later. But for the most part, it's like, I've got that recollection of that dream for like 10 minutes, and if I want to remember it, I need to write it down. Otherwise, I will not. I mean, it has to be like a million-dollar idea for you to be like, okay, I'm going to actually write yeah. it down. Well, I journal every morning, but I don't usually journal about my dreams, which mm -hmm. is interesting. I don't think a lot of people put much focus on our dreams anymore, but that used to be like 
you know, in cultures, even a hundred, you go a hundred years ago mm-hmm. and, or 200 years ago, especially and the older it goes, the more emphasis was placed on dreams. And now it's like, I don't, I don't really hear many people talk about their dreams anymore. Yeah. I, I think maybe back then, you know, with, uh, with the advancement of our science right now, we kind of see dreams as like, oh, okay. It's just like, you know, your imagination. But I feel like back then it was more of a, oh, this is a higher being like talking to you. Totally. You know, I think yeah. that was maybe the idea behind this so they're like okay we're gonna put a lot of emphasis on the dreams Absolutely. but now maybe that has well, changed. we have so many other distractions like if you had a dream and then you get out of your dream and there's nothing to distract you you're in the woods with a bunch of sheep true. you might think about your sh- you might think about your dream all day that's true. now it's like you wake <laughs> up and your phone's got eighty thousand notifications and you know all this stuff's going on and it's like pff, dream true. doesn't so it's just like we're that's very true. different. So many distractions now oh yeah yeah well let's let's uh let's talk real estate for a bit here so you've sure. been how long have you been an agent and doing doing the real estate thing here in North Texas? Uh, since August of 2020, I got my <laughs> <laughs> okay during the fun time yeah. of real estate. When did you make the decision to become a to get into get licensed? Uh, so it's it's really funny. I I never like growing up. I never thought of like real estate as mm-hmm. a career at all. I honestly didn't even know it was a career till. Mm-hmm. I don't know what changed, but I was always kind of intrigued with the investment side of it. Um, you know, I had this idea of like owning rental properties. So I, I was always intrigued about it. And then when the pandemic hit, I was just like, okay. And before before being a realtor, I was a personal trainer. Okay. And before that, I was on the trajectory to go to medical school. So a lot of, yeah, a lot a of lot career of change. changes, exactly. Uh, but during the pandemic, you know, uh, my business just shut down. And I had a lot of time on my hand. So you're a personal trainer at a gym? Uh, at my own studio. Okay. Yeah. I, I but started no one would come anymore. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Nobody would come, you know. And then uh, obviously I shifted to online training. Yeah. So there are ways to uh, go around people mm-hmm. not coming, but still it like still cut into my business 50%. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Know? That's going to – I mean, 24-hour fitness filed bankruptcy like in April or May exactly. of 2020. They were yeah. like, oh, crap. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense like – you can't go there anymore. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, people were like afraid. I, I was afraid, you know, yeah. uh, we would do outdoor classes. So we like we managed around it. But um, having a lot of time, I was just like, OK, let's see what real estate is about, you know, and yeah. then got my license August of 2020 and uh, joined a big brokerage, Century 21. And, you know, the rest is history. Yeah. And I love it. I think it was one of the best decisions I made. Good. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So you're a personal trainer and then you're like always had an interest in real estate, but you had mentioned before we started the actual podcast that you had been involved in the investment thing before becoming a realtor. No, just intrigued. Just intrigued. Really, so you just learned about it. Exactly. Where, I just where'd learned you learn about, about it. Bridge Stop Poor Death oh, yeah. uh, by Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah, yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, great book. Yeah, I read that when I was like, I want to say 21 and that's mm-hmm. what it shifted the paradigm for me. It didn't really get oh, yeah. me to do anything, but it's like, oh yeah, I can have I can have money work for me instead of me having to work for me all the time. That sounds way better. Right. Exactly. I mean money I mean he says it in book in the book, money works for you twenty four seven, but yeah. you cannot work twenty four seven. We need we need sleeping, you know, we need to dream, you know. So those are the things yeah. we can't do. We and there's probably other pursuits that we want to have in life beyond just grinding. Working. So exactly. I enjoy the grind, but I enjoy the other parts too. Oh, yeah. Um, so as you got in, you got in with Century 21. How did you start building a client base? How did you get going? And, and then how did you make your way into luxury? Like, uh, 
definitely a process, you know. Um, I had a good mentor. Uh, one of my closest friends in L.A. Uh, was in the luxury real estate, so I put my pride aside and I told him, hey, can you coach me, you know, and he told me exactly what to do. I took his advices and I, I did them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm telling you that because I'm telling those advices to my newer agents and they're not doing it. So, oh, yeah, that's a very common thing in real estate. Exactly. So I think th- if you have the recipe and if you have the will to do it, um, anyone can get to that point. Yeah. But you just have to actually put in the work. Uh, for me, it was just about um, brand awareness, right? Um, I'm, I'm very active on social media. And I try to create a brand that kind of gravitates towards the luxury side. And it wasn't a day thing. It's, it's still an ongoing process. It took a few years. Yeah, absolutely. So, so one, one thing that like I've always thought would be interesting, I've never really thought about this, I never really cared. Mm-hmm. But um, thinking about it now is like how do you, and you said you specialize more on buyers than on listings. How do you find buyers? How do you find someone who's looking for a house? Do you work with um, like lenders who are pre-qualifying them? Is that like a, a big channel for clients for you, or, or what? Um, how do you find them? A little bit of everything, you know. Um, definitely, lenders is a good resource. Uh, but being out there yourself, uh, for me, I'm a social person, like I told you, and I go to events and just people talk, love talking about real estate. Event, I don't even have events to bring like it up. what, like. Uh, fitness events, uh, you name it, car events, um, pretty much what I'm interested in. So like in. those Facebook events that we exactly. see Nobody on the weekends? Would, would go, that, yeah. I would go, yeah. you know, okay. and uh, I actually tell my agents like, hey, what do you like? You know, I sit down with them like, what's your hobby? You know, people want to work with people that are interested, right? Yeah. You know, and personally for me, fitness, cars um, have been always like a passion of mine. Mm-hmm. And so I go to fitness events, um, I network with people. I just talk to people, yeah. you know, get to know them. And then after that is just building a relationship with them. At the end of it, everybody needs a house, right? So mm. it's just about uh, all it takes is being out there. Yeah. And I, I would, I'm making some assumptions here though, but I'm assuming if you're in something I've personally noticed, I'm not saying this is truth or whatever, but I personally noticed that generally people who take really good care of themselves physically and are into fitness typically are not in poverty. Like, I think that's pretty rare to find someone who's like shredded and impoverished. True. Like I've, I've personally never seen a ton of that. I've seen some of it though. Like there's, um, it, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I would say majority of people. It's an exception for yeah, that Yeah, and it would typically be younger. Like, you know, younger guys that are into sport of some sort and they're mm-hmm. looking to that sport to take them out of poverty. Mm-hmm. That's when you might find someone who's in really great shape yeah. in poverty. Um, and there's, you know, there's prison ripped people, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying there's <laughs> it doesn't not, happen. it doesn't happen. I think it's a mindset. Totally. You know, if, if you have like, look, I was a personal trainer. Um, it, it takes a lot of energy and focus to get that ripped. You oh, know, absolutely. it's not easy. No. So if you have that type of, uh, mental, uh, capacity to do what it takes to get that ripped. And if you apply that to your business, yeah, then you're never going to be, um, you know, in poverty. Absolutely. It's a mental toughness. And when you have that mental fortitude to conquer the challenges of physical fitness, it translates perfectly into basically anything else you want to in life. Exactly. It's a very, uh, very linear translation. So it makes sense that you'd be like, hey, I'm going to go to these events. and I'm going to work in this nicer end area where I think people who are 
taking good care of themselves are going to want to be in those nicer type of areas and are, are able to be that, like, that all makes a lot of sense now that you're saying it. Exactly. I just never really thought about it like that. I'm not, I don't get, uh, like when we're getting deals, I don't get any deals from like networking with people. Mm-hmm. Usually it comes up every now and then, but it's very rare. Like for us, we just do a tremendous amount of marketing. Sure. And it's a very, very, very large funnel at the top and a very, very small funnel at the bottom. I get it. And so we have to cast this super wide net and there's very few people who fit our mold. For you, you're looking for anyone who needs a place to live. Exactly. So it's a much broader, it's a like, it's a much larger hole at the bottom of the funnel. Ours is like a little drip. Oh yours, yeah, because like you're you're looking for a specific type of property. You're looking for distressed mainly, right? Distressed property or distressed people, and there there a lot of that exists, but it's rare that they're going to have those distresses. They're going to sell at a discount. All these things are going to happen and line up with what fits our model. Like it's just not a ton of them. That's true. So I have a mentor who. Um, is also in real estate investing. And he always tells me like with real estate, all the planets have to align for you to actually make money. Uh, And I feel like with investment is, at least what I see on um, the selling side is lack of trust, right? You know, I even even when I see a distressed property on on the market and we go and talk to the neighbors, they're like, oh, you're, you're gonna make money off the poor seller. So there's, I think that, is one of the obstacles as an investor that you have to face yeah, to build that trust. Yeah. And that takes time, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of our sellers are pretty okay with the idea of someone else making money off the property. It just depends on their level of motivation. True. You know, it, how it's not like how bad is their situation, but it's how bad do they want to get out of that situation. Sometimes the situation is not that bad. Or sometimes they're very well off. They bought the prop. Like this happens a lot here in North Texas where, you know, back in, Back in 2010, you could buy a livable home in Fort Worth for fifteen to twenty-five thousand dollars. Wow! So if you look <laughs> at that and you think about that, and let's say someone bought ten of those, mm-hmm. you spent two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Well, each of those homes now is like you can sell it to an investor, cash as is, and they never rehabbed the home since buying it. It's just been leased, and now they're like, okay, I'm looking at selling it thirteen years later, and that same home I can pay one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars for. Mm-hmm. So they're seven xing their investment. Um, they probably paid cash, or if they didn't, they have a very low or no loan on it at this point. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, for them, they're willing to take a, they might be able to get 220 for it on the market, but they'll just take less because they want to sell them all at once or, or whatever. Headache. So exactly. it's like, you know, they, they have this motivation and they're not, they're not stupid. They're, they're smart investors, but they just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Like that's, that's a, it's, it's, they're motivated to not have to deal with it. So they'll take less money. And so it works out. But with you, you're finding these people that are just like, Hey, I want a house. You know, what are my options? Here's the area. And you're like, are you, how, how does it go? So once you, you find yeah, someone, sure. like give me a, an example of, of what you're doing next to go from, you know, hey, we're at a car meet or a fitness meet to and now I'm showing you properties. Like, how, do you, how do you bridge that gap? <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I, I call real estate, it's like dating, right? Um, when you go on a first date with someone, you don't ask them to be your girlfriend or boyfriend the first date, right? Yeah. You you take him out, you know, you you give him some information about yourself. So it's it's a lot of that. So you have to, um, as a realtor, and I tell this again to my agents, is you got to be patient. That's number one, right? You got to build that trust. And 
you might not even get to that real estate stage of showing houses to them for the next few months. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so going back to your question, I meet them. It's more about like, hey, let's catch up. Let's get to know each other. Um, like, what do you do? Obviously, you know, I do real estate. And uh, going back to the brand awareness, I, whenever I'm seeing someone, I kind of um, want them to follow my Instagram. Because mm -hmm. if they follow my Instagram, they know I'm in real estate. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I have designed over the past three years. Uh, library of information about real estate, where to go. That's all on my social media. So if someone gets to know me and follows my Instagram, they automatically know I'm real estate. So I don't even have to bring it up. So after that is like, okay, hey, let's get together. Let's catch up. Let's go for a run. Um, let's go this car event. And being truly, genuinely interested in the person, right? And again, after some time, I, I'm sure the real estate conversation will come up. Mm -hmm. I don't even have to bring it up. And at the end of it, everybody wants a house. So... Um, and then once they tell me that they're looking for a house, it's about getting to know what they want, where they want to be, what's their lifestyle, what's their financial situation, and getting all those information, really putting um, that person, um, like, figure, like, at least finding out what their needs are. Yeah. Really doing a, what we call a consultation, finding out their needs, and then guiding them on the right path. Are you ever showing homes to people who don't already who are already pre-qualified? Uh, I do. You do? I do, which is not really um, a good practice. I'll tell you this. Um, I don't suggest it. I would say I have agents that ask me, should I go show homes to someone who's not pre-approved? And I tell them, how much do you know about them? Um, you know, I, again, coming back, coming from the investment side, I know what lenders do. I know the questions they ask. Um, so I kind of ask those questions myself, um, and from those answers, I can kind of put together like, okay, this person can, can qualify for this much. I'm not, I'm not always accurate. Yeah, you know, yeah, I've been absolutely. off like hundred thousand sometimes, yeah. which is okay. Mm -hmm. But, um, again, in my experience, part of the reason that I've been this successful is that I maybe go above and beyond, like, again, I focus so much on building that trust. If a client comes to me and they're not even pre-approved and I go show them house, I put time out of my day to go and show them homes, mm -hmm. educate them. Guess what? When they're actually ready, they're going to come to me. Yeah. And I know that. I definitely agree with that. We do a lot of the same thing here with sellers. Like there's sellers who aren't ready to sell yet and mm -hmm. we're just, we just stay in front of them. Exactly. You know, stay in Touching touch. up to them. Yeah, yeah exactly. Staying yeah. in touch. And you know, when, when the time comes, we want to, have been in front of them for long enough that the trust is there exactly. and that when the time is right, they, they may not go with us, but we at least get an offer in and we get a fair shot. Exactly. Like, you know, that's, that's what's important to us. So that absolutely makes sense. So it's a lot about education. You know, I think, uh, the more value you give to, uh, the clients, the more, um, they'll definitely trust you more. You know, they want to work with you more. Yeah. I think there's a lot of security and safety and trust built when they see you as being knowledgeable. Exactly. Like oh, I would yeah. be terrified if I was buying or selling a home and my agent just didn't know squat. Like yeah. that's terrifying. <laughs> it and really it's is. unfortunate because that's actually possible too. Like it's rare to have that happen with say like a lawyer or a doctor, mm -hmm. but with agents, you know, the, I feel like I, there's guys I know that have gotten their Texas real estate license in under a week. 
Oh yeah. And I it's mean, like, they can give. I mean, it's so easy to get a real estate very easy. license. Which which is good or bad. It's a double edged sword. It's good because there's a lower barrier barrier of entry, and people who, you know, can't devote months or years can mm-hmm. can get in and 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 do well and succeed. But you could also end up with people who are not very educated. And it's like a lot of other education where what you're learning in the classroom, and I've never I've never been to a single second of realtor class. So this is just from an outsider looking in. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's learned in the classroom doesn't necessarily translate super well into actually doing transactions. Like oh yeah. That's there, there's a there's <laughs> a there's a wide chasm there that yeah. I've noticed exists. And um, big time it's when unfortunate. I actu- when I actually finished my real estate license, I feel like I learned nothing. Like and I got my license and actually went into my office and I was like, okay, what am I supposed to do? I remember the first time I was writing an offer, I had no idea what I was doing, honestly. And so you're absolutely right. The real estate courses, they don't really teach you anything. Yeah. They just kind of prepare you for the exam to uh-huh. get your license. Yeah. But then after that, you're kind of on your own. Absolutely. You and know, there's there's some there's some like brokerages that I think are better uh, set up or tasks to bring in new agents and be like, here's what you do. And here's your little steps and go, 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 you know, go get them. But I feel like a lot of agents that I see go into that fluff, uh, you know, fall out pretty quick. It's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's very hard if you don't have mentors and the right people in place. Um, and then you also have that to have that mental toughness of Mm -hmm. like, Hey, I'm going to go out and get rejected hundreds or thousands of times. Mm Mm-hmm. And not it's take it personally it. and just keep going. Exactly. Like, that's not a, I would say, common disposition of humans. Most, most people don't like that. Re- nobody likes rejection, right? You know, I think we're, it just it scares you. I remember um, when I first started, I hated calling people. Like, I would stutter. I would get my accent back. Mm-hmm. My English would get worse, believe it or not. Mm. <laughs> so I, I hated it, you know, but I knew that, in order for me to get where I want to be, I have to pick up the phone, put my pride aside, and talk to people. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and just knowing, I mean, oh God knows, I'm sure you guys done cold calling. Uh, oh yeah, they're they're out there cold calling right cold. now, right now. That's happening. <laughs> it's not fun, you know. You get rejected so many times. People like hang up on you. People curse at you. Oh, all the time. I'm I've gotten calls that people are like, "How'd you get my number?" And I like at the beginning, I'm like, uh, well, it was a list that someone gave me. Mm. <laughs> and it was just it was a shit show. Oh yeah. At the beginning. Yeah. You know, it is. but you have to go through that. You know? It's it's so it's so good for you, I feel like, to it brings in that humility to be oh, like, yeah. okay, well, I don't know everything and this is gonna be tough and it prepares you for that road. But then at the same time, getting those reps in, that's what makes you great later. Like, Absolutely. And uh, for me, when I got started, a lot of a lot of what I did at the beginning was basically like door knocking. But mm-hmm. It was door knocking on like the ugliest homes I could find. Yeah, smart. And it worked great. Um, but it was, you know, it, was a little, it would be a little rocky breaking the ice at first sometimes. Oh, it's like, for sure. Hey, I noticed your home's a piece of crap. Yeah. And I want to buy it. <laughs> and, that, you know, that doesn't like, you can't. Did you ever ex- get uh, someone pull a gun on you? No, out of anybody pull a gun on me okay. um yet sounds Good. like you might have a story about that <laughs> i do i do actually um let me tell you the story yeah, real let's hear quick it. so i have a you know it, i don't only work with uh, retail buyers i work with investors as well and i had an investor that was really interested in this area of dallas uh, i'm not going to mention the zip code but <laughs> i'm sure you can think of it and we got a property uh with a tenant in there 
and the tenant apparently was ex-husband of the owner. So it, it became really, really like cloudy. Like he was just like, I'm not moving. And I have a video of my client who bought the house after the closing, went to the house, putting notice of vacate um, yeah. and providing it to the tenant at that time. And this guy in the video like brings out a shotgun. He's like, hey, you're on my property. And my I cannot believe my client had the balls to do this. I would like run away as mm -hmm. soon as I see a gun. I, I would like run the other direction. But uh, he was just like, hey, I'm going to give you the paper as he's holding the gun in his face. He's like, if you give me that paper, I'm going to shoot you. And he's trying to give him the paper. And I was, he sent me the video and I was just like, dude, you are crazy. Dude, he's crazy. <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, you know, that's such a gray area because. It's good for investment. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. A high return. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, yeah. when when you've got a like situations like that that we've encountered where um you know they want to like in, in that situation i'm guessing was that investor forced to buy that property without ever seeing the inside no so was able to get in my investor my yes. client uh no we did get in and prior to close prior to close we yeah. did get in okay. we did get in we saw it he kind of knew about the tenant being there but we didn't know the relationship of the tenant to the previous owner left that little detail yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. Huh? They were they were very <laughs> smart about that. And rest going back to like anyone can get a license. This person who listed it on the market, I've never heard of them. You know, um, mm, so that yeah. was and that was at the beginning of my career. Now, if I am trying to buy a property for an investor, not only I have to do some digging up about the property, but I do some digging up about the agent. Like, is the agent like a legit agent? Like, yeah. Do they do any transactions? That that person had, I think it was their first transaction ever, and I'm, I'm sure it was her last transaction forever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I agree with you. Working with, I'm just going to call them rookie agents or like new yeah. agents, mm -hmm. is probably the most miserable process you can put yourself through. Oh, yeah. Um, you're doing because, double the work. Oh, man. Yeah. It, it, you're doing double the work, but... it. it it's not. It's more it's like triple or quadruple yeah. because they will make up stuff they think is relevant or bring up things that aren't problems and create a problem out of nothing. Right. Where it's like, <laughs> dude, this is not an issue. Like you're making it into one. And so, yeah, we get we we end up working with all sorts. Like when you're wholesaling and buying investment, you're basically taking like scraping the bottom of the barrel of mm -hmm. all the leftover crap that nobody else knows what to do with. Correct. And so it's like a lot of weird stuff comes up and a lot of like crazy title problems where there's, we've had, I mean, last year, I think there was a point where we had 20 something heirs in our office oh, here yeah. for a property because, you know, grandma and grandpa owned the property and they passed and their kids were. Had kids of their own. And well, yeah. And they weren't like, they weren't, there, there's a lot of affairs and things going on. So yeah. there's a lot of like illegitimate children and other stuff and like. And then children, Man. their children had passed. And so sometimes it would be like the seven kids that those kids had all had. And yeah. all of them had to come and be at the same place at the same time. And that's like herding cats, man. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, you, like, you can make really good money, but you also have to be willing to deal with those, problems. I'm not going to say really big problems, but they're challenges. And it's not, that's not easy. So no, absolutely not. I feel like on the investment side, the more... Uh, cloudy something is, the more money you could make oh, as absolutely. an investor. I mean, absolutely. you do have to deal with it. It's a lot of headache, but, um, Dude, you know. You make all the money in the gray. Exactly. You make the money between the lines. Money, like, you go to Frisco, Texas, where every home is the exact freaking same, mm -hmm. and it's like black and white. 
you know, this house is worth this. There is 32 other homes with the exact same floor plan that sold between 288 and 292 a square foot. Yeah. So there's your $4 a square foot margin. There you that, go. That's the, that is it. There's no, like, it, it's not going to go over that and it's not going to go under that. That is it. And it's black and white and clear. You go into, let's say, West Dallas, mm -hmm. just the other side of the Trinity, and there are 700 square foot homes and there are 4,000 square foot homes next door to each other. Mm -hmm. And there is so much gray there. Exactly. Where it's like, well, what is this one actually worth? Well, there's a few ones that have sold like it. There's several that have sold off market. And then there's these other sizes and these other things. Oh, but this lot is bigger. You could build a bigger home. And there's all this gray that has to get investigated. That's Very where the money's true. made. Oh, yeah. Like, Very true. In between those lines where it's like, well, and, and, and in areas where there's lots of gentrification. It's like Oak Cliff. Mm -hmm. You think Oak Cliff in 2015, it, I mean, I guess you weren't necessarily in the business then, but you were living here then, I assume. Yeah. Oak Cliff in 2015 was the hood. It was exactly. ratchet. It had a bad rep. Yeah. Oh, terrible. Now it's like $600,000 homes. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. It went from 30000 to 600000 in seven years, eight exactly. years. Exactly. That's where opportunity That's exactly exists. where opportunity is. Yeah. Because you think about that, people were transacting homes at that thirty fifty thousand 50000 price point at one time recently. And if they can get... Three or four hundred thousand for that house now in eight years. Oh yeah, man, yeah. you're doing. You're, you're feeling pretty good about do yourself. You, where, where do you think is the next place like that? Oh, uh, Fair Park. Fair Park. I yeah. mean, they just last year we just passed a four hundred million dollar bond. Mm -hmm. That's all that money is getting invested in Fair Park. Are you talking about the park that they're? Well, uh, it's creating? Fair Park is an area. It's south of the thirty and. Um, and like, it's kind of like a triangle space just south. Of, so it's it's it's. Some of it is literally like blocks from downtown Dallas. Mm -hmm. You know, you're so close. So you've got that proximity going for you where like if you worked in downtown Dallas and you wanted to go north, like you mentioned earlier, to Prosper, for example, you're an hour, you're a solid hour. In, oh, yeah. In, in, in without traffic. Yeah, without traffic. Yeah. You get into traffic with a commute, it can it can push hour and a half plus True. each way. So True. you're looking at three hours of commute a day. And for a similar price point, the problem with Fair Park right now is it's still not quite safe yet. Exactly. Oak Cliff is yeah. Oak Cliff safer. Is, is safer. Mm -hmm. I mean, safer. There's no like if I end up in Fair Park, I don't go buy a ton of homes anymore. But I'll go on appointments with some of our guys at times, and I'll end up in Fair Park every now and then. And last time I was there on a weekday in the early afternoon, like right after lunch, you know, there was clear drug activity going on, clear prostitution going on, like. Mm -hmm problems that's still there still there yeah. still there oak cliff it's not very true no, I, I don't, I don't ever see that west yeah. you don't ever see that there um the only places i'll see that now is harry hines and um oak cliff or no sorry fair park fair park area. those are the two areas in dallas where i see it stop six and fort worth is where yeah. i'll see it too would be a good area to buy and hold you know if you um come across something that you know you can just put a tenant in there and just keep it as is, buy and hold it maybe. Uh, if you can cash flow anything right now, anywhere from an SS SFR perspective, that's a good area. It's so hard to cash it's flow. It's very, right very, now. I mean, with, with an 8% interest rate, well, and I'm also looking at it like, I have to look at it from scale. I have, I have over, I have over a hundred single family homes. Like mm -hmm. I can't look at it like, oh, well, to go get my, my special little extra Fannie Freddie loan. I can't yeah. do that. Like sure. that's, the, that ship has sailed. So I have to look at commercial financing options that are available. There's two tracks that are actively available for us, and there's an additional tract if you're really good at what you do. So the two tracks that are actively available is small banks. Mm -hmm. Every small bank runs this, basically the same setup. They'll give you a 20-year amortization schedule with a five-year adjusted rate. 
And that five-year adjust right now is going to be around 8%. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to adjust in five years to prime plus something. Usually the bank's around 1%. So that's the typical small bank loan. You can go to any of the hundreds of small banks in Texas. I've never heard anything different, and I've talked to hundreds of them. That's their, that's, their, that's their box. That's how they operate. The other route is you can go and get its hedge fund, some sort of Wall Street fund, some, some sort of big money backing it loan that's a 30-year loan. It's a fixed rate. Right now, that rate's still going to be 8% fixed for 30 years. The small bank loan has no prepayment penalty. Mm-hmm. The big bank loan is a 30-year versus a 20-year. So you can get your payment down a little, but not much. But that 30-year has a 54321 prepayment typically. Some are different, some are three, two, one, but it's year one, five, year four, or sorry, year one, 5% to pay mm-hmm. if you want to pay off, year two, 4%, year three, 3%, so on and so forth. I see. Those are your two options. So at 8% right now, cash flowing, you have to get such a stupid good deal on a, on a home that, that it will cash flow and it won't cash flow well. It'll cash flow like dollars a month. Yeah. Maybe a hundred bucks a month if you're really lucky. Whereas, you know, 18, 20 months ago, same property, I could I could just pick properties out of our pipeline, anything mm-hmm. I wanted, and every single one would cash flow. If I was basically under like 150 purchase, if I could, if I could be under 150 all in, they all cash flowed. Yeah. That Period. makes sense with the rates, how they were. Everything. Wear. Everything would cash flow. Because like that 150000 all in, I could usually get between thirteen and 1700 a month rent. We're good. Cash flows. Yeah, Every single one. It follows the 1% rule. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and here in Texas, that 1% rule, so we got hit with a few things at once. So insurance rates have gone up dramatically recently in Texas. Taxes have gone up dramatically, like doubling almost everything. Exactly. And then rates have gone up. Mm-hmm. So you're getting hit with these three things that are all just usurping all your cash flow right now. And it's it's much more difficult than it was a short time ago to make it's money. probably what the Fed wanted. You know? It's exactly I mean, what they wanted. They had to slow it. Exactly. They had to sense. slow it. And it worked. It slowed it. Every single large buyer that was out there buying, every single one of them that I'm aware of have all stopped. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. None of them buy anymore. They're actually selling now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do see a lot of uh, corporate-owned um, single-family homes yeah. coming on the market. Yeah. There was actually a large REIT here in uh, DFW that I was close with that uh, has officially failed. Oh, and uh, yeah, they're they're done, and they owned they owned uh, about two thousand doors, not mm-hmm. all here in DFW, but they owned hundreds here in DFW, and oh, they have wow. to sell everything. Wow! So there's a lot of do inventory think, that's coming. Uh, the do you think a lot of inventory is uh, upon us coming coming soon? What, what what's your thought on that? You know, from what I like, I evaluate a lot of homes because mm-hmm. like every every guy that's out here trying to buy homes, we. You know they'll run their comps. They'll figure out about where they can be, but none of them are agents either. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm typically double checking what they're doing if they're moving forward on anything. Sure. So, and I'm I'm trying to look as much at as much of the stuff as I can. And so I'm just I run comps all day, and I don't see it coming up a ton in Metro DFW. What I have noticed is inventory is going up in rural. Mm-hmm. So not not necessarily like, like very far, like you were talking about not, maybe not, not super far. So yeah. like, for example, today I was looking at a property in Howe, Texas, which is okay. yeah, not not that far. Yeah. Not that far. You're 20 minutes north of Sherman, or excuse me, 20 minutes north of McKinney, which mm-hmm. is I would say full on metro DFW mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, so you're 20 minutes outside of the metroplex in a good direction to go. Uh, in Howe, so everyone knows about um, the TI 
uh, plant oh, that's going man. up. Yeah. So as that goes up, um, that's going to create a tremendous amount of jobs. It's it's its own economy. Like that that place is crazy, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's in Sherman. But if you look at the map, it's the very very southern tip of Sherman, which is how. I see. And so, but I'm looking in Howe right now today, and in the small town of Howe, there was about a dozen active properties. And when I would look at that a year ago, there'd be nothing active. Interesting. And I think part of it is there's less of a push to go rural like that that exists during the pandemic and then rates. Yeah. So I think those two things, there's like, there's a little bit less desire to be rural. There was a huge desire during the pandemic to have some space and some land and there was a lot of fear. And I feel like that's no longer front of mind for people. It was. So I'm seeing, I'm seeing in the peripheries of DFW, I'm seeing inventory go up. Nothing like shocking though. And I don't, I try not to look at all like the trends and statistics because it gets in my head sometimes a little too much. I just focus on like, can this deal make money? Yes or no. Um, So I'm not the best person to ask about that. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't look at all the macro. I'm just looking at individual anecdotal evidence mostly. So don't don't take my word for it (laughs) is what I would say. Um, But uh, the third way that you can buy homes right now and the way that's the most like doable is when you're buying stuff creatively. So if you can get sellers to finance you or you can take over their oh, yeah. mortgages sub two, that's the best way to get a cash flowing property right now. Very true. Because you're you're outside of those two high interest. And, and that interest, like I, if you look at like an amortization schedule, which is like uh, an amortization schedule is just a breakdown of like, if you have a mortgage and it's 360 payments, it's all 360 of those payments over 30 years and how much of each payment goes to interest and how much goes to principal. It's a very simple thing uh, to look at. It's a very interesting table to look at too because you see how much you're actually paying for interest. At and the beginning. At the beginning, it's yeah. brutal. Like oh, yeah. when you're at those high interest rates, sometimes it'll be like if your payments say 1000 bucks a month, 970 of it is interest. Yeah. 30 oh, yeah, bucks yeah. a month to principal. It's crazy with the yeah, I mean, it just, interest rate. It burns you. It, very true. Versus a 4%, same payment. Let's say you bought a much more expensive home, same payment, but it's 4% interest. Well, then maybe it's 900 and 100. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is like, okay. I mean, you're literally getting that home paid down three and a, three and a third times faster. Oh, yeah. Which sounds great. Which <laughs> is why everything was going crazy when the yeah, rates were yeah, low. It was crazy. You know, it was, it was a good time and a bad time. Yeah. You know, I, I personally kind of miss it because uh, working the buyers. Yeah. And I had so many buyers just ready. And if you were, if you're a younger person in real estate, knew how the technology works so you can act fast. Yeah. It was a good time to yep. be a realtor at that time. Yep. I agree. Yeah. I, I mean, my guess, and I don't know if I want to share this with the no, world. No, now you have to do it. But yeah, <laughs> but my guess is that like, I don't, I don't think rates are going to stay high. I think that something's got to give somewhere. Because people just can't afford stuff anymore. Like oh, when yeah. I when I go to the grocery store, and I, I don't go to the grocery store a lot, but when I if I end up at the grocery store to grab something, and I just look at prices, I'm like, dude, how do people afford this? Like, oh, yeah. it's it is hard. it is crazy right now, and there, uh, people need relief. Oh, and yeah. so the the Fed has not complete control, but they can they can help that. If that happens, though, I think we go we we fall right back into where we were, where I think there's a tremendous demand for housing. Big time. People I are mean, just missing the fact that you can date the rate and marry the property. Mm-hmm. Like, That's what we do right now for all of our clients that are buying. First of all, we're doing creative financing. You know, we're having seller to cover some of the closing costs, mm-hmm. either either just covering closing costs or buying down rates. Buying down rates, which yeah. uh, makes sense. Mm-hmm. 
And then the whole the whole theme right now is to marry the house, date the rates. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like you said, I think uh, with how the rates are, um, just it's hard for people. So I talked to a few lenders. All their projections is that it's going to go down. Yeah. Probably not three four percent. You know, I think. No, it's. I'm not yeah. saying we're going to be at that yeah. level, but yeah, maybe five or six. I five think or that's six a healthy level. You six know? is the, so six is the average that the interest rate has been over like the last I want to say like fifty years or something Correct. like that. Like mm-hmm. six is kind of normal, and six works. Eight it does, yeah, is hard. Very true. Eight is very hard. Six, it's just it's enough of a relief on those numbers that they work. But very true. Eight is tough, man. It's very tough. That's actually the rates have kind of been what has pushed me into like more multifamily stuff. Mm-hmm. I couldn't cash flow SFR anymore, so I've bought some multifamilies this year because. Even though the rate is high, mm-hmm. um, there's there, there's less buyers in SFR. There are way less buyers in multifamily. Yeah, the, the transactions sense. fell off a cliff. It's like eighty percent year over year down. Wow. And so because of that, there's just no buyers. So I'm like, well, if the property's decent, we'll buy it, and we're paying a high rate. But there's some other things you can do with those to make them work. True. So we're that, that's kind of where I've been doing most of my holding for this year, and then the single family has been kind of the active income where we're either wholesaling it or flipping it. That's true. It's faster. I feel like with single family, oh, wholesaling faster. it is way faster. Multifamily, I I mean, it's it's a higher price point for... Guys wholesale too, multifamily. So. Guys do, do it. They do? Oh, okay. yeah. Um, they do it. And uh, the fees they can get off of it can get insane when they're good at it. Mm-hmm. But um, for the most part, um, that's a hard... It's a hard game to play. You got to be very skilled at what you do to, to win at that game. Not I only think. skilled, I feel like you have to know the right people. Know the right people. You've got to have some money too, where you can. Because I mean, most sellers aren't letting you lock something up without some earnest money, even if you don't have a very low option money. But that earnest money is still twenty, fifty, some something grand. I mean, I've done hundred thousand dollars earnest money. Yeah. On a property, wow. and it's like. Okay, well, that's, I mean, that's some coin, man. You got to yeah. have that in your bank so you can put it in theirs and you got to be able to not touch it for 30, 60, 90 days. That's true. And so like there's things that have to be there to to make that work. Now, if you're a great negotiator and they're super motivated, yeah, you could probably get that number way down, but they're probably not going to do a hundred bucks like they do with, you know, with single, single family. family. So it's a little bit different game. Um, so you're, you've got your, your team of agents. How many agents work with you? Right now there's four of us. Um, the vision for the team is to keep it small, keep the really go-getters in mm-hmm. the team. I put a lot of time and energy into the team, yeah. growing them. I'm treating them like my kids, honestly. Like I call them every day. I'm like, hey, how does this how is this deal going? Um, I'm keeping them accountable, you know, um, helping them with marketing, both as far as the creativity behind it and also financially mm-hmm. you know i i know a lot of new agents don't have the capital yeah um so as someone who's been in the business for a few years i have some capital mm-hmm. that i can uh con- you know contribute to the cause so that's the vision for the team keep it small um but you know only have uh selective badass people yeah. on the team do you have like a transaction coordinator that helps you guys or do you guys do all uh, your own transaction not, stuff not at the moment we don't do that many transactions as far as team speaking. Myself, yeah. I do about three transactions uh, per month mm-hmm. out on average. And I feel like as far as, um, you know, th- talking about scalability, I probably have to get a transaction coordinator at mm-hmm. some time. Um, but we don't have one right now. Short sure. answer, we don't have one, but it's definitely something that we're thinking about having. Yeah, I uh, 
we have a transaction coordinator on our team and makes sense. You guys, how many transactions do you guys do a month? So we try, um, our business has gone through some interesting times over the last few months, but when we're functioning the way we're supposed to, we're doing about 30 a month. So far this month, it's the 8th of November. So far we have nine properties under contract this month. Makes sense. It's just like a slow time of the season anyway, you know, uh, same, same for retail buyers and same for investors. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little awkward. Last month, we, I mean, the last several months have been bad for us. We try to, so one of the hard things with small business is going from, so like when you first start, you have to, you have like the hustler hat on, right? Sure. And that's the hat that you wore initially when you started, where you just started doing your own transactions, you figured it out and it was you doing it and you making money doing that thing. Well, the next hat you have to put on is like, uh, kind of like a team lead type hat. And that's the hat you're wearing right now. It's like, mm. hey, I have these few people and we're this small team and we're going to go and I got to have super good people because I only have a few and I got to make them count. Mm-hmm. Well, once you like, so it's like, okay, level one, you're, you're sole operating. Then you level up and you've got this team. Then you level up and you get a bigger team and you level up again and you get a bigger team. And it keeps going bigger if you want to keep growing. Not everybody does and that's fine. Um, and so we leveled up so I did, I did it just me, then I had my small team, and then I got my bigger team, and then we leveled up another level. And I tried to put someone in to operate the business and me mostly pull out, and it sure. failed miserably. <laughs> 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 I mean, it tanked straight yeah. into the ground. It got to a point where I think last month we contracted three homes, and we should mm-hmm. be doing 30. Oh, wow. And yeah. uh, Because of but, that switch? Yes, 100%. Um, is that person with you guys? No. <laughs> no. It was it was an effort made, and it was with the information we had at the time and the capability of the person, I think it was a, I think it was the right decision Yeah. Um, at the time. And the, part of part of each level up is there's learning, and you gotta, you got to switch what you're doing a little bit. And anytime you give someone additional responsibility, you have to give them additional power to make decisions. Like... Nothing is worse than, hey, here's all this responsibility, but you can't do anything about it. Like you're setting people up for failure. So given the decision power and that and decisions made, I disagreed with, but I let him do them. Sure. And um, and I, I, I mentioned, here's why I disagree, but it's yours. Let's see how it goes. And it was, you know, one wrong decision, you can keep going. But I feel like every wrong decision starts slowly turning the business. Mm-hmm. And it went from, you know, going well to going very poorly. Sure. It doesn't take a ton of degrees to go from here to here. Yeah. You know, it's it's 90 degrees. It's, it's it's handfuls of decisions. And then there's a lot of other pieces to it that when you've gone through those other layers of the process, you are forced to learn things, just like you said at the beginning, by doing that cold calling or doing that door knocking. You learn these different things in these different unique ways to make things work that someone who has popped into that later on may not have the same like grit or determination to get that deal across the finish line and may not have the same knowledge or creativity that you had from having to make those work. Like when you're new and you get like right now we generate hundreds of leads a month, but when you're new and you're generating yourself generating leads, you get a dozen, maybe two dozen a month. If you're like, so you're like, Hey, how do I, how do I make this work? I don't get a lot of shots to make something work. I got a shot. How can I make this work? And you try away and it fails. So then another opportunity similar to it comes up and you try a little bit different way and it works. And you're like, that's how I do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's how you get successful is by making those mistakes and plugging someone in who's never had that background experience. They've just seen us operate 
at it at a working level for a long time. It's just different, unfortunately. Sure. And it's hard, man. There's a lot of systems that got to be in place. There's a lot of like um, key performance indicators you've got to have on everyone, and you've got to be watching what everyone's doing without sitting next to them watching what they're doing. Without micromanaging. Exactly. Right? You can't exactly. micromanage them, but there's got to be some performance things, and you have to know which pieces of performance are the most indicative of success in the role and then measure those. Very true. Yeah, it's I feel hard. like as business owners, um, it's very hard to give your baby to someone oh. and expect them to take care of it. Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. It's it's very hard. I, I see myself micromanage sometimes and I'm just like, okay, Cash, pull back, let them make the mistakes yeah. and hopefully they learn from yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And if they're and if they're smart enough, they'll listen to you know you or myself who maybe have gone through those mistakes. Yeah, you know, yep. and not to make those mistakes. Man, I mean, one of the most valuable things I feel like I could teach a young person or like my children or something would be like get fantastic at learning from other people's mistakes. Right. If you're yeah. really good at learning from other people's mistakes, you can avoid so much pain and misery in life. Mm-hmm. But like, even with my like 11 year old daughter. She just, she thinks she knows it all already. And I'm like, dude, I was <laughs> explaining to her, we were walking to school today together. And I'm like, look, you are very smart, but you are not wise at all. Yeah. From a wisdom level, you're an idiot. <laughs> but from a, from like an intelligence level, you're brilliant. Mm-hmm. And you've got to figure out how to balance that. That's true. You know, with kids, I have, uh, I don't have kids of my own, but I have uh, six nephews and one niece. So been around kids yeah. of that age. Yeah. And not going to lie, they're very smart. Yeah. I, and I feel like with social media, if someone is smart enough to use it uh, productively, the amount of knowledge they have at that age, I, I'm sometimes shocked. Some, oh, it's some crazy. Stuff, uh, sometimes my uh, nephew says something, and I'm like, whoa, dude, I didn't even know you like you knew about this at yeah. that age. Like yeah. At your age, I was thinking about what game I'm going to play tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think, like you said, they're, they're thinking they know everything. So yeah. they're not going to listen to like someone who actually has wisdom. Yeah. They learn how to access information to every, and they have information to everything immediately. Yeah. They like any, any, you know, those weird, stupid questions that kids ask and they're not stupid. I'm going to miss them when they're gone, but it's like, you know, <laughs> now you just Google how, it. how, yeah, exactly. Like how long does it take a shark to swim from Alaska to Australia? And I'm like, dude, <laughs> I don't know. Google it. And, the, and so that they hear that a dozen times and they, then yeah. My kids can't like my kids who can't type, they can barely talk. And they're like, Alexa. And they ask their question <laughs> yeah. and Alexa tells them the answer. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Right. <laughs> so they get this intelligence and this access to intelligence, but there's no like experience and wisdom to back it up. True. And it's like, oh man. That comes with age, right? Yeah, they have it comes to go through age. it. They have to make the mistakes. You know, they have to mess up, right? Yeah, and absolutely. That's sometimes the best way to learn. Oh, man, School of Hard Knocks has been the only school I've ever gone to, I feel like. <laughs> it's the best. Uh, honestly, I think as business owners, you have to fail a couple times. Oh, yeah. You know, I had my uh, share of failures, but I think you, I think what makes business owners uh, or entrepreneurs different is that they learn from that mistake and totally. they can actually use it for their next endeav- yeah. endeavors, you know? I wish, like, there's some guys who have, shows and podcasts and things they're so good at remembering like every name and everything and I suck at that but <laughs> there was someone who I was hearing who it's like basically and it was a, a great business leader and every time there'd be a failure they would they would take like a day and they would dissect everything and like oh that's cool like okay so from from when that lead came in to when that property like for me you know my property from when lead came in to when we sold that property 
where did the failures occur? Where did we mess And like up? you can unearth and you unearth these failures the way through. It's like, okay, well, how do we fix this one, this one, and this one? And then it's like, if you got those three system improvements from the failure, it is a failure, but it's improving your business to not have that same failure ever again. Mm-hmm. And so it's it comes at a cost, but that cost... It's worth it. Exactly. Oh, yeah. If, if you make those changes. If you don't, then you just burn that money for nothing. You know, uh, I think... Having or running a business is very much like professional sport. You know, if you if you look at athletes, that's what they do after every game. They they, they oh, lose yeah. or win. They sit down. They analyze it like, hey, what did we do that make us make us win or make us lose? Mm-hmm. And you know, um, it's it's what separates the the best from totally. average. Yeah. You know? No, I, uh, I, love I had a, actually I had a few lessons that I learned this year. Thinking it's my third year, and I, you know, going back to thinking you're wise, I, yeah. I still have a lot to learn. And this year, and you, you're in real estate, so you know how it's a very cutthroat business. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know? yeah. um, doesn't matter if you're working on the investor side or buyer side. I actually had a buyer earlier this year. And man, the amount of time I spent just talking to this gentleman about where he should look, what he should look, uh, how much down payment he should put, you know, because I, I do those um, consultation with people too, like, hey, like the market is a little uncertain. Maybe you shouldn't put all your life savings yeah. into a house, right? Yeah. I, I mean, not a lot of agents think about that. They're like, okay, I minimum down payment is three percent, and maximum is maximum is however much you want, yeah. right? But you have to know the client first, right? Know their situation, know the market, know the macro stuff. And anyway, I told this guy like, hey, you know, I know you have money to like put 50% down, but like, think about it. Like, okay, like what's the benefit of you doing 50% down when you can just do 20% down, avoid the PMI, because that's yeah, what most yeah, people yeah. want to do, yeah. right? Avoid the PMI and then put that 30% into, I don't know, treasury bonds, right? You know, uh, it's liquid, you can take it out. Uh, so those are the conversations I was having with this gentleman. And, you know, we go look for homes. I show him like, I don't know, 10, 12 homes. And then one day he texts me, He's like, oh, uh, we ended up buying another home with a different realtor. And I just like lost it, man. I I mean, I didn't show it to him. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I kept myself cool, calm and collected. And I was like, okay, can you give me feedback? What did I do wrong? Did I not educate you enough? Like, did I not put enough time? And he told me, he told me I wasn't pushy enough. Crazy. And I know, right? I know. I, and like, then, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody right? give that critique. That you're to. not pushy enough. Um and then I put I whenever I get these feedbacks I wrote, I write it down mm-hmm. and you know I go over them daily I'm like okay so you weren't pushy enough obviously I'm not pushy now I'm mm-hmm. not gonna I'm not gonna change my personality because yeah. someone had a bad experience with me however I do have a different approach when it comes to that time you know so I I learned from that you know I was just like okay instead of you know as a as a buyer's agent you know you're not n- your goal is not only to find the right house for your client, but you also have to make a sale, right? At some point, you have to be like, hey, do you want it or not, right? Mm-hmm. At the beginning of this year, I was just kind of like, oh, I'll wait for them to tell me they want it or not. Now I'm more, I don't want to say uh, pushy, but I bring up that question. I'm like, okay, so are you ready to go with this house? Do you like it? Is it a good find? It looks good. It fits your needs. It fits your lifestyle. It doesn't look like it has any issues. So do you want it or not? So I changed my approach, you know, and 
I think that's really what separates a really successful business owner uh, from someone who's not is reflecting on their mistakes and then learning from it and then applying, applying it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a fine line between pushy and direct, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. hey, I'm like, I'm pushing you to do this thing I can tell you don't want to do. Sure. That's that salesman, like sleazy. I don't like it. People don't right. like that feel. That's like, that's what everyone's worried about with salespeople is like, Very true. they're going to push me into this, right? But the other side of that, it's not the other side of the coin. It's like right next door to that, very closely to it is directness and being like, hey, this house fits this, this, and this. Their ask is this. Do you want to move forward? No. Okay. Is there a price you want to move forward at? Exactly. Well, if we could pay this, we'd do it. Okay. Why don't we offer this, see what they say, and we'll keep going and looking at other homes and tell them. Very true. Where it's like, hey, I'm not pushing you into anything. But if, if you want this, it's available right now. This is what they're asking. You're comfortable with this number. Let's give it to them and keep going. I'm not saying that's how everyone should deal with every... What, I'm, this is not like an example of how to deal with a client at all. But no, it's just I an think example that's, that's of being direct. Like, yeah. hey, I'm not saying do this or don't do this, but I am saying if this is where you're comfortable, let the other side know so they can then make a decision. Put the ball in their court. Exactly. And I'm a, like, I'm a big believer in that. And that's one thing that I actually am like... So full disclosure, I'm not a big fan of agents. Not sure. nothing personal. No, no, no. I but, get it. Um, I get it. <clears throat> the, the, a lot of agents, and I think it goes back to and that's to be honest with you, that's on us because we are as agents, um, we're we don't take the time to educate ourselves on the investment sides. I work with a lot of investors, and I know investors don't like agents because they think we don't do anything, we don't negotiate, we pretty much they don't they think we don't know shit, and we just open doors. And that's really not the reality of what that's we do. not fair either. The truth is is in between the two, for sure. Um, agents can provide a lot of value. Where I get frustrated with agents is where it's like, dude, you get paid by finding a way to get the deal done, done. not by finding a way to to show I'm wrong or my house is bad. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it, everybody wins when the deal goes through. Sure. And so helping your client and educating yourself and your client on the reality of situations, like we've got a house right now that's really unique and it's like the whole house is slightly tilted and it's North Texas, right? Mm-hmm. But and it has a basement too, which is super oh, weird for North Texas, but the house yeah. is tilted. And so these these buyers, their agent is like, oh, you gotta get, you gotta get make them fix the foundation, but the foundation is super solid. Yeah. And in order to fix it, we have to cut all these holes in it, like 20 holes in the foundation. It makes yeah. the foundation Swiss cheese. And I'm like, that's not a good idea. Like mm-hmm. you're gonna ruin the home. And then they offered below us. There's all these things, and it's like, man, like if, if we could just get your clients to understand that, yes, the home is, is, isn't is totally perfectly level, but it's North Texas, it's going to be challenged to find a home that is. If you go new, even if you go new build, they may be the day you buy it, but give it a couple of years. Give oh, it's it a, shift. a drought or two, a rain or yeah. two, it'll change. Mm-hmm. And like that's the reality of the situation here. And if the agent would educate the buyer and say, look, you know, there's these different engineers that are saying this is this is okay. It's within the FHA like guidelines. Mm-hmm. FHA guidelines, I think, is ten feet. You get one inch of difference, and this is like over forty feet. We have two inches. Oh, it's so not it's like, it's yeah. not that bad. Yeah. But the fact that it's not perfect, they're like, we want it perfect, and it could be the buyers, but it could also be the agent. And I feel like if the agent w- really wanted to get this deal done, uh, he he's thinking too much about, hey, I've got to protect my client. And it's like, well, are you protecting your client? Like, is this what they want? And if it is, 
is it a good home or are you just like in your mind, you're like, oh, well, they want it perfect. I got to make it perfect. If it's not, then I'm not doing my job. And it's so gray, you know, yeah. it's not like, like, how do you teach that? But overall, my point is that oftentimes agents will block the transaction from happening. Um, and it, typically I hear I'm, I'm, you know, doing what's in my client's best interest is mm -hmm. the typical line that I hear. And it's like, well, sometimes, sometimes I can see it. And sometimes I'm like, well, I could see how you could get there, <laughs> but I feel like it's a stretch. And yeah. so when the agents are blocking a transaction, that's where I get frustrated. And I agree with you. I think it's from generally a lack of education and a lack of effort. Like, Very true. I mean, Very everybody, true. everybody, human nature is least amount of effort, most amount of pay, like mm -hmm. highest reward, least effort. That exactly. is human nature. And so I don't blame agents for it, but it just, it's frustrating at times where it's like, come on, man, like we're, we're at the finish line. All we got to do is agree on this last little item. And on that True. particular home, we are going to pay for the foundation. They're like, well, we don't like that foundation guy. We want the more expensive foundation guy. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and that is this $400,000 house, $2,000 killed the deal. Cause I'm like, oh my God, yeah. you offered under, you want this repair, you want this other repair, you want this other repair. And I'm willing to do all of them. But if you want me to go with the foundation company, one, I don't know. And two, you just like, cause their Google reviews are better. Like I'm not going to pay the extra. So it's like, a well, hard situation. And it's like, okay, well let's just kill the deal. You know, Sorry, I, I've been on, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like I said, we have a sister company that does investment. Uh, and I mainly work with retail buyers yeah. and I have tons of buyers that the word foundation is mentioned and they run away. Oh yeah. So I have to sit down with them like, Hey, we're in Texas. There's a lot of extremities in our weather. So this is completely fine. You know, it's it's not a big deal. You're going to face it at some point. Let's yeah. say, like you say, you buy a new build, next two years, you never know what's going to happen. Um, I think it falls on the agent to educate them, but at the end of it, it's the buyer's choice. It is the buyer's you know? decision. It's, it's, it's really a lot of education that goes through it. And it's also... Uh, <laughs> The buyer's parents, believe it or not. Totally, totally. <laughs> They're oftentimes co-signing on the loan, so Pretty I get much, it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that that's also a lot of, uh, and it's so funny because, um, you know, me being in my uh, 30s, I have a lot of clients in that age group. Yeah. So um, a lot of the times I have uh, the buyer's parents show up to the house, and and it's completely fine. But it's, the, their thinking is so, like, I don't know what's the word, but they're so not in with reality. They're like, oh, this is $400,000 home. We used to get like a, a 8,000 square feet home for 400,000. Yeah. Like, dude, that's, yeah, that's in 1990s. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to 2023. Yeah. So, you know, and I have to coach again my clients like, hey, I, I see what they're saying, but let's step back. Let's get into reality. Right now, these are the prices, you know, you should listen to your elder for sure. You know, if they're telling you don't buy this because it's a bad investment, ask why, right? Yeah. Don't just take their word. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of it, look, you you need to make your own decision, and um, it's good to take into other resources. But um, I don't know, just sometimes. Oh, I hear you. The amount of there's so, and, and it's it, it could be the parents. Yeah. It, like if they're co-signing, yeah, they should probably have an opinion on the property. But even if they're not, they're still you know their parents are gonna they're gonna get oh, their yeah. opinion. Whether you ask for it or not, uh, you're gonna hear it. <laughs> so it's like there's that. Then the next layer is like, well, then you've got you've got lenders, you've got inspectors, you've got um, appraisers, you've got um, title companies, and there's probably a few other people. I mean, there's obviously the agent. 
could be a contractor also involved. But but before the contractor, those seven other groups, mm -hmm. okay, if there's no co-signer, but they're still parents. It's like there's seven different groups that are going to weigh in on this decision you're making. And you're told your whole life growing up is the biggest decision you're ever going to make in your life. It's yeah. so the biggest investment of your life. Don't don't f it up. Yeah, and it's like good Gandhi. Like it is, it is. I get it. Like it we is. said, a lot of planets have to line All up. All of them. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, that's seven, and there's nine. So you're, like, there's a couple more. I'm sure floating around in a pretty much every transaction. Oh, best friend. So you it's got like, best friend in there. You got uh, yeah. Aunt, you got uncle. yeah. There's there's always people who want to give their opinion, whether it's good or bad. Like, Very true. And so there's there's a lot that goes through, and and you know when I see it on my end as as a seller. It typically, and it's coming from the agent, I'm going to blame the agent. Yeah. And oh, so yeah, it's yeah, not absolutely. fair. No, I, I hear you. It's not yeah. fair. But but you don't know the buyer. So no. you you know the agent. So you can, and it's, I, it's completely And I don't know any of those other seven. And I feel like if I was that agent, and this is, this is like, I'm making an assumption here that like, this is a good property, fair deal, all that house is in good shape. Might not be perfect, but it's in good shape. If that's the case... Part of and the, the buyers want it. Part of the buyer's agent's job is to sell them on the home, mm -hmm. like you were saying earlier. Like at the end of the day, we got to sell the home. Like we got to we got to get a transaction across the finish line, and so you got to sell them on like why this is good and why exactly the stuff you were saying. Mm -hmm. And if you're good at that, all those concerns and all that white noise that comes in from everywhere else, if it really is a good deal, you should as a good agent be able to overcome all of that. Just oh, yeah. like me as a good as a good acquisitions guy, I got to overcome all these concerns of a seller. And it's like the, or a good, a good freak for, forget real estate, a good car salesman, a good car salesman is going to close 50% of the people he's talks to. That's a phenomenal best closer, car, right? yeah. best closer on the lot. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, then there's the majority are closing 25% and the guys at the bottom are closing 10%. So one guy, he closes every other person he talks to and the bottom of the barrel closes one in 10 they talk to. Same people coming on the lot. Mm -hmm. Why? Why? You know, why? Yeah. Why is that? And I'm not asking for an answer. It's a, more of a, hypothet or like a hypothetical situation here. But the guys who are really good, they hear all the same concerns that the guys are really bad here. But they overcome them all somehow. And that's, that's where it's like, okay, I'm not saying all agents are bad at all. What I am saying is that when you're really good at your craft, you can overcome those things and still get it across the finish line. And it may not be with the same house. It might be a different house or whatever. But getting True. good at that, man, that's I, the difference between... I usually, between... you know, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, when we come across anything, it's my job, I see myself as a problem solver. Yeah. Right? You know, and I give solutions. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm like, okay... Like if I was the buyer's agent on your property, you did say they did under asking. I would probably say, hey, let's go under asking. Let's ask for some sort of credit and you fix the foundation yourself afterwards. So that that would yeah. be my suggestion as well. And as agents, the ones that are really good or any sort of salesperson, your job is to solve the problem, right? Okay, hey, I don't like that. Oh, no worries. Um, I have a contractor. We can fix that. Not yeah. a big deal, you know? And that comes with... Practice, practice, you know? experience, exactly. reps, all that stuff. Exactly. And so, like, you know, I 100% agree with you. If if you're really good and you say, "Hey, here's the ways we solve this, and here are the options. We can do this, 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 or this." Mm -hmm. It's like, well, let's let's put our offer back up to the full price, but then let's ask for these, or let's raise our offer two thousand dollars. That way, it's covered by financing, mm -hmm. and then he'll pay for the 
then you can get the better guy you want and it's done deal. Exactly. I still wouldn't agree with the overall like, hey, let's cut this foundation of Swiss cheese. I don't think that's a good idea. But if that's what they really want to do and they're going to buy the home, go for it. Right. Whatever you want to the house. Yeah. Um, so it's like, yeah, there's there's no like, hey, here is the problem with everyone. And if everyone just changes one thing, it would just be solved. It's not that simple. Oh, yeah. Never Absolutely. is. You know? When there's so many people involved in a transaction, it can be a little yeah. messy. But, uh, you know, I, I, I do think a lot of agents have given us a bad rep. You know, have you heard about this new lawsuit? About the $1.8 billion one? Yeah. 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 So it's going to change the game. I don't know when it's going to actually get into effect. It's going to, I feel like it's going to weed out a lot of bad agents, which so is good. My understanding of the lawsuit is basically buyers pay their agents, sellers pay their agents. That's exactly. the underlying Pretty result. Much. Exactly. Uh, but what, what that could, I guess, uh, help is... I feel like a lot of the bad agents might not be able to negotiate their own um, commission oh, yeah. from the buyer. Because yeah. right now, like one of the benefits of buyer's agent is that it's kind of free, kind of free to the uh, buyer. Um, so now that the seller is not covering that commission, the buyer actually has to fight for themselves and they have to actually show value. Like, hey, what do I bring to the table other than opening the door? Yeah. You know, and... Like I said, uh, I, I feel like a lot of people think we realtors just open the door, you know, but um, at least I train my agents as far as comp analysis, hey, market trends, uh, list of contractors, just thinking creatively, even financing creatively. You yeah. know, those are the things that I bring to the table as a buyer's agent. You know, I would say that your bottom of the barrel, worst, most garbage agent, open the door. Mm hmm. But your best, your 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 killers. Like my what I see typically in a market is twenty percent of the agents produce eighty percent of the deals. Mm -hmm. Like and and then it, it also it gets crazier the higher up you get. That top two percent, oh, yeah. they're producing like forty percent of that. Like it's it's crazy. Yeah. There's these producers that are crushing it. In my experiences, those guys they're not door openers. They mm -hmm. are doing exactly what you're saying and exactly what you're doing. They're saying, okay, from thinking about buying a home through happy living in the house closed a long time ago, mm -hmm. have the result I want. What's all the stuff that that person's going to need help with and what's the solution for every single thing along the way. And not one solution, three, five, seven, options. 10 solutions, potential solutions for every step along the way. Mm -hmm. And if, 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 a, if agents have that lined up for people where it's, they're looking at it more of like, hey, what's the experience this person's going through with this huge commitment they're making? And how can I make every step along the way as easy as possible for them or as many possible different customizable solutions for them? Those agents, they're worth every bit of what they get paid and some more, to be Very honest. True. Some agents are shockingly good at what they do and they can craft deals and make things work so well. And then some agents are so terrible at what they do. It's <laughs> yeah. shocking. It's like, and my big question is like, I'm in real estate. I don't need help from realtors. Like they, they don't help me in any way really, but like what, how can a realtor add enough value to, to justify themselves? Like how, what can they do? And I feel like if they're doing that, Man, they're adding so much value, and it's so worth Very it. Very true. You know what we agents suck at is, look, whenever I'm helping a client, like you said, from A to Z, there's so many things happening. Mm -hmm. And 
my clients are kind of unaware of it, yeah. you know? And I actually, I'm proud of that because I'm, I'm like, I want this experience to be as fun, as memorable, less headache. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's that's my goal. That's what mm-hmm. I promise to my clients. But at the same time, going into this new lawsuit, I'm like, okay, I have to sort of bring up what's happening A to Z, show the complication or show the value that we do in that A to Z, package it nicely, and then tell people, hey, this is all we do. Guess what? The If you want no headache experience, this is why you should work with us. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are so many things that could come up. Um, I mean, you, you, you said it yourself, airs out of nowhere, uh, how to handle that. Because, again, you're an investor, so you're, you work with a totally different type of uh, uh, people. But we, when we work with first-time buyers, the moment they hear this stuff, they panic. Oh, you know, yeah. like we you said, the they they think this is the biggest decision of their life, biggest investment of their life. But once you do a few of these, you realize it's just just buying something else. Yeah, right. It's, yeah. it's really not that crazy. It's like, yeah, the down payment is important. And then is you got to make sure you can cover that monthly. Exactly. But it's really not that different than rent. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really not. Thing. It's like you're you're paying a similar Ex- amount. Except, you know, the benefits of it. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah, there, but, there are definitely benefits to buying than renting, right? Yeah. You, you would agree. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What, well, what I'm saying is like, okay, if you're renting somewhere for 2000 a month and you go buy a home and your mortgage PITI is now 2000 a month, yeah, thing. you did put 20 grand down or whatever. But like at the end of the day, it's really not that much more expensive of a lifestyle. Yes, there probably are some additional expenses to owning a home. And right now, owning a home is more expensive than renting. Right oh now, yeah, because that, the interest that's rates. how it should be. Yeah, right. Yeah, you get that ownership, and you get, but you get appreciation. You get depreciation on your taxes. You get these other benefits from it. Correct. And it's your home. No one can yeah. kick you out. You exactly. can like if you want your kids to be in the same school from the day they begin till the last one graduates, thirty years, whatever later, you can control that. True. I feel like it's very hard to um, own a home and then go back to leasing. You know, because uh, you don't have the full control of your house. Yeah. You know, you can do whatever you want. I can wake up to, tomorrow and uh, break down a wall at yeah. my house. Yep. You know, and that's that's a very good feeling to yeah. have. Yeah, no, totally. I agree. Where uh, so I I I used to think the exact same way. Now I can see myself going back to leasing, but it's only because I own like I have yeah. those 100 units that are SFR and then I've got 100, another 100 units that's multifam like I'm invested in real estate. You probably want it a little bit hands off now that and you so, own yeah, exactly. Homes. So it's now it's different. like okay, now I I I feel okay about going and leasing somewhere, but it would be more be for like travel reasons. Sure. Like just go. Do you travel a lot? I have. We had a baby uh 10 weeks ago. Oh, so congrats. thanks. Um but haven't traveled much recently because yeah. of that, but sure. worth it. Get it all that good stuff and it's actually great timing because I need to be working right now and I shouldn't yeah. be traveling. So it's it's <laughs> it's, it's 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 all it always travel works for out. for work or uh, just for fun. I mean, nice. I you know, I'm always buying and selling real estate, but yeah. I always I, I try and find ways to make it a write off, you know, if I can. Yeah. I'll go and check out real estate or whatever, but um Nice. That's smart. Yeah, but I I uh I I just I don't know. I love traveling. It's fun, fun thing to do. Where do you usually go? Man, um, I've been liking South America a lot lately because your money goes really far. Oh yeah, and it's not that far away from mm-hmm. from Texas. Like you can get to Costa Rica in about the same amount of time it takes to get to California. Oh, that's nice. So it's not that Two, far. Three hours. Yeah, I mean, th- yeah. about three, three and a half hours to Liberia Airport from DFW. Um, I also love that DF. I mean, DFW, man, you can go almost anywhere in the world from here. We oh, fly. Yeah. We can fly direct to Australia, and we can fly direct to Dubai. Yeah. In the wow. other direction. So it's like, it's awesome. you, you, we've got a great airport here. So yeah, we got a good city. Yeah, I like it. As overall. a realtor, I'm kind of biased. Though. Yeah, no. Well, <laughs> I really do think as far as a city goes, man, I, I would say, I would argue that Texas is, or I mean, 
America is one of the best places in the world to buy real estate. We have mm-hmm. very clear, like very clear laws set up very well. Financing is great. There's a lot of good things about buying real estate in America, mm-hmm. but then Texas, I would say I could argue, and I think pretty effectively that it is better than most other places in the States. Florida is close, but Florida has more extreme weather than Texas. Oh yeah. So it's like, you've got, you've got that going against you in Florida. So that kind of pushes Texas up in my mind. And then we have such a robust economy. Mm-hmm. And then DFW, I think it's pushed up even more because it is a extremely diverse economy in Texas. Right. It is a very large economy. It's not going anywhere. We've got massive companies here, tons of jobs, tons of space to keep building. And we've got a, like a good cost of living ratio compared to other cities of our size. Very true. When you very look at true. LA and New York, I mean, we're biggest city in the country. We're top five. L.A., New York, stupid. Everyone will agree, stupid expensive. Oh, yeah. Then you go Chicago. Chicago, dangerous. Like mm-hmm. most people, when you think Chicago, you think dangerous and still expensive, not cheap. Yeah. And you look at here and it's like, well, here in Houston, kind of go back and forth as number four largest metro areas in the country. And what we have here that Houston doesn't is less weather. Oh, yeah. Houston gets hurricanes. We don't. Houston gets flooding. We, we do, but it's far less extreme. Yeah, when I first actually moved from Iran, I mm-hmm. went to Houston and I hated it. It's really? humid. I mean, if you feel it's like very hot and humid. Yeah. Oh my god, I I was just like, is this is this what I signed up for? I mm. traveled eighteen hours to get here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was. Uh, Houston, you're not from Houston, yeah. are you? No. Okay, good, good. So so I can kind of dump on them a little yeah. bit. <laughs> it it sucked. Um, so it's, I, it's I agree humid. with you. Yeah, I'll give you that. I I think I mean. And I wouldn't pick DFW to live in, but from an investment standpoint, man, it is hard to top DFW. Very it's true. Very, very I mean, true. San Antonio is really good too, but it's just not as robust of an economy. It's not as diverse of an economy. And Austin's too expensive. Yeah. Austin, I feel like, had a lot of, you know, like with crypto, right? Yeah. Crypto got this hype during COVID. And I feel like that's Austin for you. Yeah, it got you know, this Austin, hype. like, if you had to compare a city, uh, like, as far as the real estate boom to crypto, Austin would be yeah. the one, you know? And now now they're actually, I feel like they're uh, they're definitely doing more price reduction than here. Oh, yeah. 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 It, it peaked higher and it, it's going to fall further. Exactly. Uh, I think. Yeah. But that's with, my opinion. With Dallas, I think, um, and this is, I wasn't in the business in 2008, so I don't know exactly what happened. I wasn't following numbers. I'm sure you, you can probably tell me more. But from the few realtors that I've spoke to that were in the business, um, we didn't have much of a crash no. like like other cities did. It's so, more of a dip. Exactly, which is normal, right? Yeah, you know? it's going to, I mean, it can't, Dallas is just consistent 6% appreciation yeah. every year. Yeah. I mean, if you look over and you take historical and you go back a, a good amount of time, it's just steady Eddie. Yeah. And what more can an investor ask for? Exactly. Steady Eddie climb. That's what I tell that people. That is beauty right yeah. there. Yeah, that's what you want, you know, uh, a very stable appreciation, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, <laughs> do you do? Um, I was going to ask you. I was going to bring this up. I want to talk more about uh, marketing, but I was going to ask if you do like any, like if I was going to be a buyer's agent and I had to sign up and become a buyer's agent today, and that was my job going forward. The first thing I would do is make like ten videos with him about like how I, as a buyer's agent, can help you find the best home and whatever. And then I would target people on Facebook, particularly moms, women mm-hmm. yeah. on Facebook. Um, and Instagram. And I would try and see if there's a way to be like, I want to target the people who've been on Zillow recently sure. and just beat the shit out of them with marketing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, do you I do think, that at all. Uh, we do p- partly that, you know, uh, definitely a good strategy. Um, 
But I feel like being a buyer's agent, at least in my experience, is a little bit more than just education too. You know, uh, people, this, this is with every business. People have to like you, they have to trust you, and they do business with you. Yeah. So I actually do bits and pieces of information, but I do bits and pieces about me. Like, hey, I like running. Hey, I like Ward Rock Lake because of uh, the lake around it that I can run easily. And then I bring up real estate into it. Like, hey, White Rock Lake is a great area. It's growing. The park system, you know, uh, for, for you know, a young couple, that yeah. could be a good place. There's a lot of restaurants. So um, it's just you have to look at the marketing as a whole. You can't just, just do education because then you become like a robot. You know, yeah. like right now, any buyer can go on Google and be like, okay, what's option period? So we do a little bit more than that. Yeah, no, I, I so when I'm what I'm saying from that is just like that would be like my lead gen. Sure. Like once I once I can get them to interact with me, then but I'm not saying only education, just making videos that it's like that's in my mind how I would think to go and find buyers. Yeah. It's, and that's very I was, smart. I was very surprised that yeah. you're like, well, I go to these different things and activities and it's like it's a huh. longer term, yeah. you know, definitely it's not something you generate lead fast. Um but I've seen it pay off way better. Oh, I believe yeah. that. I mean, there's there's going to be, like, my approach is more of a volume approach, and I'm going to go talk to a lot of people, and from all those people, there's going to be some good ones who are motivated to go look at some stuff. Um, yours is more like, hey, I'm going to have a much more solid relationship with this person, and it's it's less volume, more, but way more sure that they're going to go through with you. True, yeah. Which, from your perspective, I understand you have to do volume. Um for us, like if I look, if I do three transactions a month and the purchase price that I'm at, I make a really good living, you know? Yeah. And if I can, especially if I, as a buyer's agent, because you're always getting exactly. three. Exactly. Exactly. Most of the time. I mean, most yeah, generally. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, anytime we list a home, typically we're only ever paying one because we have volume. Like, sure. Yeah. I can give sense. you 10 listings. Yeah. You know, well, 10 at one, well, it's still 10 listings. And then you know yeah. from those 10, if you're a good agent, you should be able to get another 10 buyers out of those 10 listings. Exactly. So Very it's true. like there's a, there's a lot of value that comes from listing. Anyway, so, well, hey, I really appreciate you coming out today. Appreciate Thank the great you. conversation. Yeah. Uh, I think I could probably talk to you all day about all the different <laughs> real <true>. estate <laughs> stuff because it's just, it's, it's a fun. rabbit hole. You can just dive down forever. But appreciate you coming out, man. It's of been course. great talking to you. Good meeting you. And, uh, Appreciate you coming today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. All right.